He's Henry Gomez, an ad agency strategist with over 26 years of experience. And he's Howard Ibach, a former copywriter and creative director and the author of two books on the creative brief. And together, we're the Brief Brothers, having an ongoing discussion about advertising, creative briefs, and briefing. Well, Howard, we're back with another Creative Review Classics episode. We're going to look at some uh, selections uh, of classic TV spots. Um, generally, these are going to be good work, and, and we're going to agree that they're good work um, because they come from a list of, of top advertising. But I think it gives us a chance to dissect what made them so good and kind of give us some inspiration and give our viewers inspiration for what is possible and what can be done. I agree. And, you know, the other thing, before we jump into this, we can, I'm going to enjoy kind of jumping back to some of our previous discussions and connect some of the things we've talked about there with what we're seeing and why what's happening in these spots is working so well and what makes, you know, the creative aspects of these spots uh, so powerful. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, taking a look at these three spots. Uh, where do we want to start, Henry? Let's start with the deodorant commercial from I believe it was Low? Low London, yeah, this is for sure deodorant. Um, I believe this is in black and white too, if I'm not mistaken. No, and it's- Is it just a, it's kind of faded. It's like a grainy washed out color, but that might be a function of the film deteriorating over time. It's a, it's, it looks like it's from the eighties maybe. Yeah, let's take a look. You know, um, we talk a lot about product demos, and this isn't really a demo because it's not, it, it shows us he applies the deodorant and then it's kind of this crazy commute to work and is in a place where all of these stunts are happening. Uh, so it's like a, the big idea here is these are stressful situations, right? Like these are situations where you might sweat. These are you know, and I love the line at the end where it says over the top protection for under your arms. Right. It's like that, that little play on word. And, and what you've just seen is 60 seconds of over the top action nonstop um, through the whole uh, commercial. And presumably he doesn't sweat, right? Like he's not sweating it, despite the fact that uh, all of this is going on. So, you know, I think it's an example of a well executed in a time where there was no CGI, all these things had to be done, you know, all these stunts had to be coordinated. The budget, I can't imagine what the, what the budget on this thing was, but sure was a big brand, big consumer packaged goods brand. Um, and, 
you know, as a, as a leader, you do a big budget idea, a, a entertaining idea that people are going to talk about. It's kind of the work that an industry leader would do uh, back in the day. Yeah. You know, I, I could be mistaken about this, Henry, but I don't recall seeing anywhere on that spot mouse type that says, um, do not do this at home, you know, professional drivers only on a closer. It's like, I didn't see that anywhere. None of the disclaimers. Which well, I maybe, is... maybe in the UK, they're smarter than us and they don't <laughs> need to be told that. Or maybe yeah. uh, it was a time before we were so litigious. I think it's probably a little bit of both, but that's something that caught my attention. I said, where's all the, the disclaimers that you would see in a spot today? I'm not even sure you could get away with doing this today because do of not attempt. Do not attempt. But, you know, I just, I recently uh, wrote a blog post, the headline of which was something like, uh, you know, how much does an idea cost? And my argument was that when you write a creative brief, the budget doesn't is has nothing to do with what the brief is asking the creatives to do. They're asking the creatives to come up with an idea. Now, how much does an idea cost? It costs nothing. Of course, we've also talked in previous episodes about the change from a media percentage or media uh, cut to a uh, a model of we're being paid by the hour. So we do have to bill our time. And when you come up with an idea, it may have, you may have chalked up eight or ten or twenty hours. So that's not a free idea. But the point is, this idea, um, you know, came to the mind of a creative or a creative team, and they had the, they, it, was, it was such a good idea, the client said yes, they couldn't say no to this idea. So regardless of there's no CGI, there's no disclaimers, this thing is an idea-driven concept uh, spot, and that's what makes it so much fun, in addition to, to, the, to what you talked about. So I love this. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, you and I have a little bit of a disagreement about putting whether to put a budget in the brief. Like, I mean, I think if, if we told these creatives on this brief that their budget was $100,000, we don't get this idea. I and, disagree. And I, I think creatives would figure out a way to do it. May not have looked quite like this. But, but I think when you say we couldn't do it for that dollar, you're telling the creatives, well, we can't. We can just, the idea, but we can't figure out how to execute you, you it. Just, you just prove kind of prove my point like you could have a similar idea right like with guys fighting and doing uh you know uh what's that running parkour or whatever but it's it's not going to be the same execution so how, how that idea is thought of initially by the creatives when they're thinking about what it's going to appear like on the screen is going to be different given certain budget limitations and well, we don't know the thing is we don't know what the brief said the brief did the no, brief we, have a budget we don't know we, we don't know that but i do feel in my experience that the clients not giving you a, a budget is a bullshit cop-out because they know what they can spend and they don't want to tell you because they're saying, oh, make us fall in love with something and then we'll give you, we'll, we'll find money. Well, if you have money to do a really big idea, tell us you have the money to do a big idea and we'll, we'll create a big idea for you. But I, I you know, I, I'm, I've seen so much run, run around with regard to budgets and we'd love to do it, but we can't do it. Or how or they say, we love the idea, but how much is this going to cost to pull it off? Well, why didn't you tell us you had limitations before? How much do you think it costs to do the I'm a Mac campaign with John Hodgman 
and Justin Long. Probably. That was a, that was a, that was a low budget concept. How how expensive was the the you know the the the, I, the, I, the, I, the vodka I, campaign, the absolute vodka campaign? It was just headlines with great I, photography. I, I agree with you. I'm not saying that you need a big budget to do a great idea. But I'm saying you need a big budget to do a big budget idea. And if you don't know what the budget is, you know, are you thinking in terms of I'm a Mac or are you thinking in terms of taking an entire city and running stuntmen through it and, and all this, you know, live action, how much film you're going to. So it's part of the creative process is how this idea is going to be executed and at what scale. And but see, I that's the that's the point there. We're talking a budget is about execution. We have an idea, an idea doesn't cost anything. Let's come up with the idea and how we're gonna execute it. That's what, what's gonna cost money. So, so what I've seen a million times, and I'm glad we're having this debate because it's good that we disagree because we can't yeah. always be agreeing, um, is if they had presented this idea exactly as it is, exactly as we just saw it, and the client said, how much is that gonna to cost to make? And the agency said that's going to cost a million and a half dollar pounds to make, right? And they say, well, our budget is two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. This idea doesn't get executed; it doesn't get produced, and some lesser version of this might get made. But let's not waste that time because what that means is now we got to go back. We got to say, well, how do we make it fit into the $250,000 that the client knew at the beginning of this process that they had in, instead is retrofitting. You know, we talk about saving rounds of revisions and all that and, and knowing what your budget is in this day and age, I think it's part of that. And I think it's just fundamentally dishonest from a business partner, not to give you a budget. I just do. I think you need to have transparency and say, hey, we have half a million dollars. We have a million dollars. We have a hundred thousand dollars, whatever that budget is to know it so that then we're not thinking about stuntmen and CGI when we can't, when we can afford, you know, um, maybe me doing some stop motion animation with construction paper. It's good that we disagree. I agree with you there. Okay, let's look at our next spot, Henry. This one is uh, a spot done by Fallon. And no, wait, I'm sorry, I got the wrong spot. Uh, this is a spot done by uh, John Lewis for John Lewis. And it's one of their early Christmas spots. I think it's about 15 years old. And it's called Monty the Penguin. Let's take a look. <laughs> All my little plans and schemes Lost like some forgotten dream Seems like all I really was doing Was waiting for you Just like little girls and boys Playing with the little toys Seems like all we really were doing Was waiting for love Don't need to be alone 
All right, Henry, what are your thoughts? You know, John Lewis has a reputation for um, doing this really emotional, heartfelt Christmas advertising. It's a retailer in the UK, of course. Um, and they're famous for their Christmas ads. Um, and this one is no exception. Now, my favorite John Lewis ad is one in which a little boy, similar to this boy, kind of same age, is like you see the season changing and he's like counting down to Christmas. And he, you know, he's even got his, his calendar and, you know, he, he can't wait for Christmas. He's like eating his meals quickly and all these things to because he wants... And finally, the day is there, Christmas Eve, and he runs, finishes dinner, he runs off the bed because he wants to go to sleep. And the whole time, you know, presumably it's because he wants to get his Christmas gifts because that's what kids do. And the next morning he wakes up and he's instantly awake and you see him run to his, he runs to his, not to the Christmas tree, he runs to his closet where he has some Christmas gifts stowed away and he takes them and you see him run into his parents' room with the, with the Christmas gifts. And the idea is that it's better to give than to receive. And it's the misdirect at the end is really beautiful. And that's like my favorite John Lewis ad. Um, this is in that vein, uh, I think a little bit um, with the penguin. Um, and I know I just did a whole creative review for an ad we didn't show, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, this one has a lot of the same elements of the formula, right? That Christmas through a child's eyes. And in fact, we're seeing the world through this child's eyes young enough to where he has this imaginary friend and his imaginary friend is this penguin, which is really not imaginary. It's a real thing, but it's a, it's a plush toy. Um, and, um, you know, I think the theme here, of course, is the, is the, um, innocence of children at, at Christmas and the magical way that you feel about that. And for John Lewis, it's brilliant because you want to be associated with that good feeling with that, you know, all of the good feelings associated, you know, we hear um, all the time, we've been, ever since I was a kid about the over commercialization of Christmas and and all of these things and how it's jesus is the reason for the season and and all of these things right without being religious about it right they basically remind us of the reason for the season right they're telling us this is about being with family about uh, capturing that childish innocence about all of those good feelings that we have um at the end of the year um in the holidays so it's just a brilliantly executed, beautifully filmed, beautifully acted. Um, here, the CGI is, you know, wonderful and 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 well done that you don't feel like you're seeing. I, I doubt that they had a penguin wrangler and a live penguin, but maybe they did. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Um, all well said, Henry. I'm going to take a slightly different uh, approach to this because I like to use uh, John Lewis as a uh, brand, but also their Christmas spots when I do the training for my workshops on great writing, creative briefs, because they have entered their work year after year after year in the IPA's effectiveness awards, which is not just about creative. It's about 
ROI. And the impressive thing about this campaign, which is going on, I mean, it's like they've done a decade's worth or more of these Christmas spots. And it's one of the, I like to, to remind my the, the attendees in my workshop that if they if their brand was so popular and so powerful that people would get on the phone and call them up saying, when is the next ad from your brand coming out? You know that you're going to be doing, you're doing a great job. And most brands don't get that kind of love out in the marketplace. Whereas people call John Lewis, you know, starting in October, saying, when's the Christmas campaign going to come? They, they actually want to know because they look forward to it. That's how beloved this brand is. So this is a, an example of a, of a company that can deliver both creative ideas, but measurable ROI. I think the ROI saw on four or five years worth of John Lewis spots when they had won consecutive um, IPA awards and the effectiveness awards was something like eight to one, which is just remarkable, you know, as a, as a campaign. Yeah, I'd love, so, I'd, I'd love to know, and I suspect, but I don't know, that they don't do a ton of like above the line, like big budget advertising the rest of the year. That for them, this no. is kind of their their thing yeah. that they're known for. And which I think is interesting too, which is, and you know, we just had a conversation about budgets and it's like, well, they could do a quarterly ad for a quarter of the budget, right? And, and instead they've decided to marshal their resources, associate themselves with Christmas and it's enough goodwill to last through the whole year and create yeah. anticipation for that next chapter in the john lewis christmas story that we're, that we've all seen so yeah i right. think that's interesting the, the second thing that i wanted to point out and this relates to another episode that, that we've done of the brief brothers where we talked about um a, a malaise in the advertising industry about the industry itself how some high-level c-suite folks come out in public and said how much they hate marketing or they hate advertising. And then in the over-specialization within the creative department. And you pointed out, I think we both talked about the fact that these CEOs and marketers are their business people. They're not creative. So their dis disdain for the creative aspect of advertising is somewhat understandable because this is something that they don't grasp. This spot that we're looking at here and all of the John Lewis spots are prime examples, I think, of the magic of creativity, of how creative teams can come up with this unexpected way to talk about love in the eyes of a child. If the CEO wasn't a, a creative nerd before, he is now. Like they, you know what I mean? Like he, after these campaign has been running uh, I think yeah. that's the power that it has exactly and and you know it could cause a bit of envy on the on the marketer or the the CEO because you know I can't I don't think like that I want to be like that I don't get where these ideas come from but I love what they do um, so I, I think here's an example I hope I can't say this with any fact or background or, or, or evidence, but I would like to believe that the folks at John Lewis don't have that disdain for advertising, the way some other marketers do because they see the power of this magic. So those two things one we can measure how well a campaign like this uh, has on their bottom line and two, the beauty of how create creative magic um, seen through the eyes of a child 
is what we, those of us in the business love about advertising. And, you know, wow, we just kind of get all soft and gooey when we see a, a spot like this. So, oh my goodness, this is great stuff. Great stuff. Okay, let's go on to our, to our third spot. This is a classic. This is uh, for Volvo trucks with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Should we take a look? Let's, let's take a look. Take a look. I've had my ups and downs, my fair share of bumpy roads and heavy winds. That's what made me what I am today. Now I stand here before you. What you see is a body crafted to perfection. A pair of legs engineered to defy the laws of physics. And a mindset to master the most epic of splits. something you watch it and you wonder like could this be possible could this be real um is this cgi um of course the whole point of it is that it's not and you know one you marvel at the physical gifts of a guy like van damme um who you know i was never into those movies um just they they weren't for me but you have to admire um you know the guy to be able to do this and pull it off and then it makes you admire the the capabilities of these vehicles and the sophistication of the vehicles and it's a spot that you know they say a picture is worth a thousand words well this little film is worth like a million words like you i could talk to you all day about the stability of the the <laughs> blah, 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 blah. let me show you something and you know everything that you need to know in terms of at what high a level these vehicles are are produced in terms of their quality that 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 you could do something like this so i you know it's a product demo it's an amazing product demo this is the stuff of advertising legend whoever thought it up um it, and congrats to volvo for having the budget and to to, <laughs> to do it because i'm <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't cheap to, you know, get a guy like Van Damme and, you know, the insurance on this shoot, I'm sure probably cost a, a, a fortune. Yeah. It's funny because I worked on Dish Network on their Latino offering. And a couple of years after this Van Damme thing came out, um, one of the agencies that worked on the business, one of our 
co-agencies that worked on it, uh, Havas uh, out of Chicago, came up with a, a digital video where there was a parody of this, and it was like the the Mexican uh, paleta or popsicle carts, two of them going side by side, <laughs> doing this like a, a parody of, of the demo. So, I, I like I said, I you know I have a soft spot in my heart for this one, not just because of Van Dam and the the spot itself, but what uh, the brand I was working on, I, it wasn't my agency that came up with the idea, but how, what they did in order to like parody it. Yeah. But what I thought about was um, our, our friend, Paul Feldwick and his, you know, he talks about this spot in, in his book, The Anatomy of Humbug, um, because his argument is this particular spot, there was no single minor proposition. He argues that there's no single minor proposition to this to this idea, and you can debate whether he's right or wrong. I would say I he's wrong. Well, but but his but his argument, his larger argument was this was pure entertainment. I mean, as a product demonstration, it is just fun to watch. And as you said, you could talk to your blue in the face to try to explain what the benefits of this truck um, are, but nothing is going to beat. A product demonstration, an actual, and, and, and not just driving forward, going backward. Yeah, so I, I would argue without, with, um, you know, Van Dam. I would argue with Paul Feldwick, and I, I, I would be willing to bet a lot of money that somewhere there was a creative brief that had some sort of single-minded proposition, whether it was good or not, but that said something about Either it was either at a high level, these vehicles are made at a with super high tolerances or or uh, whatever it is, something. And then one of the reasons to believe was this particular feature of the stability of the of the you know reversing and the that explained technically what it was, or the single-minded proposition was very specific to that feature that they wanted yeah. to show and said, these vehicles come with a feature that blah, 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 blah. Now, the leap from that to the idea, that's the magic of advertising, right? Like that's right. why brief writers don't come up with the spots uh, or, the, right. or the ads. We put what's important on paper and then they come up with a way of demonstrating or saying the story about it. Um, in this case, it was a demonstration. So I bet you, whether it was good or bad, um, whether it was high level about the quality of these trucks or very specific to that specific feature that allows this to even be possible, um, there was a single-minded proposition somewhere. Well, I, I agree with you. And I'm, I'm a fan of the single-minded proposition. I wrote a whole book on the single-minded proposition. Um, I'm just relaying, don't shoot the messenger here, Henry. I'm just relaying what our, what our friend and former guest, uh, Paul Philbrook, said in his book that he didn't, and I don't, know if they, I don't know if he saw the brief or knew or had access to the brief, but I think his argument is, whether you agree with it or not, is that when you look at this spot, you can say, I don't think there is a single minor proposition. What is powerful about the spot is its memorable entertainment. And that, that really contributes to his whole theory or whole thesis, which is we're building fame. We're making our products famous by entertaining you with, with the creative. And that's what this does very specifically, I think, and it's very successfully. I, I'm going to take back one thing. It's possible that 
there was a crappy brief or no brief written at all, but somewhere there was a document that talked about the specific things these trucks can do. Because this is, to me reeks of like, hey, if they can do that, why don't we do this with this? You know what I mean? Like that's the thought process, I believe. You know, at some point it was on a bullet pointed list of features somewhere in a document, whether it was a true creative brief, whether there was a single-minded proposition, but it came from somewhere that these trucks have some sort of technology that allows them to track side by side in a very precise manner that are, you know, those types of things. So that was somewhere in the brief or well, document that served as a brief. Yeah. Brief Brothers fans out there who are listening or watching, if you have access to the creative brief for this particular spot, please send it to one of us. And as the, uh, as Click and Clack, the, the, uh, the what's the Tappet name? Tappet Brothers. The, the Tappet Brothers used to say, when you send a copy of the brief, why don't you just tape a $20 bill on the back of it? We'd appreciate that very much. <laughs> okay, good stuff, Henry. Good stuff, Howard. He's Henry Gomez. He's Howard Eibach, and together we are not click and clack the Tappet Brothers. We're the Brief Brothers. <laughs> Till next, Til next time. time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Say hi to Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe. Yes, exactly. <laughs>